title of this series is called Relationship Goals. And so today, my goal is to take what I believe is the foundational root cause of problems in marriage or relationships, okay? Uh, I, I think if you put everything in a pot like you were going to make a gumbo and you, you got it boiling, if you took communication, if you took finances, if you took unforgiveness, if you took anger, if you took jealousy, impatience, and put it in a pot, and you began to boil it, I think the thing that's left at the end is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about your foundation today. The root cause of marital problems starts with the foundational problem called my relationship with God. Very simply, I want to help you understand today that as a married man, married to my wife, it is my responsibility to grow in Christ, to grow closer to God. It is Cheryl's responsibility to grow in Christ, to grow closer to God. You see this? I'm responsible for my growth. She's responsible for hers. When we grow together closer to God, becoming more like God, it's, it's super clear that God begins to grow us closer to each other. Because the reason we can't get close is because there's too much of us and not enough God. Can I get a witness? <laughs> So I am responsible for my growth. I can't blame Cheryl for my lack of growth. I can't say anything that she's holding me back. I can't say, oh, she's not growing. I can't let the devil get me into a comparison trap with my wife because he did one time and it got me in trouble. About 16 years ago, I was being discipled by a guy. It was one-on-one discipleship, very intense. We met every week. He challenged the mess out of me to grow in my relationship with God. And so I'm like, I'm wearing it out. I'm, I, it would be like a bodybuilder in a gym. I was, I was getting after it in the Bible every morning. Prayer list, applications, memory verses. I'm going to town. I'm like growing. And I'll never forget, I'm looking over at my wife going, holla, you going to grow? I would never see her with her Bible open. I didn't even know if she had a journal. For two years, this went on. And I'm going, is she going to grow? And there would be times I would open my mouth and something stupid would come out. And it never ended well. Right? And I thought, man, you don't want to grow spiritually. What's wrong with you? I'm growing. Why aren't you growing? For two years, we did that. Until one day, we were driving home from Jennings back to Franklin, and I'm in the passenger seat, finally convinced her to drive home. That's a victory, guys. I'm in the passenger seat trying to get a nap, and I felt the Lord speak to me, say, go find Bubba, ask him what he needs, and help him. And that's how we ultimately got here. Two weeks later, after that moment, we pack our bags up, put our house up for sale. We're, boom, in Jennings. Like that. Just went for it. And after we moved and got settled in, Cheryl came to me one day and she said, let me tell you something. She said, I prayed for two years for God to use Pastor Bubba to move us closer to my family. And I said, you lying. You lying, girl. You ain't prayed no two years. What's wrong with you? 
She said, I prayed for two years very specifically that God would use Pastor Bubba to move us to Jennings. And can I tell you, in that moment, I felt like the biggest idiot in the world. Because I was standing in judgment of her, thinking she wasn't growing in her relationship with God because it didn't look like mine. And I want to set some of you free today because you're putting expectations on each other to grow like you grow. There's a big difference between a man and a woman. That's a good place to say amen. Big difference, okay? Women smell good, men don't. Women are pretty, men are ugly. I mean, come on, let's just get real. In my eyes, come on, y'all. <laughs> Big difference. So, so when I'm going to grow in my relationship with God, it's going to look different than my wife's relationship with God. This is what I came to understand after that because it was an awakening for me. I said, you know what? She grew. I mean, the fact that she prayed that prayer that way, it was like that was spiritual maturity because she could have nagged me all the way to Jennings. But instead, she was mature enough spiritually to shut her mouth and pray. I would be taking notes right there. She said, what I can't do with my mouth, I'm going to let God do with his hand. And I went, wow. And so I've come to this realization about my wife and I. We grow differently. Cheryl's relationship with God looks like looks like she would be sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair right next to her grandpa just visiting. That's what her relationship with God looks like. She knows the scripture. She knows the Bible. She reads her Bible. She, she has her devotional times. But her relationship with God is a highly relational relationship. You follow me? She's going to get more from God by spending time with him, speaking and listening. I, on the other hand, am totally different. I get closest to God when I'm digging in the scriptures, when I'm praying, when I'm, I'm reading and applying the word. Then I go, man, this is incredible. And that creates a hunger in me to be in a relationship with God. You follow me? She can sit on the porch. I'm still stuck in the, in the, in the library or the, or the, or the, the hall, the, the, my office, studying. She, she's sitting on the porch with God. I'm studying, trying to get there. Her struggle or her push is to be diligent to be in the scriptures and praying and all that. And that's important, okay? My push is to just go sit on the front porch. Sometimes I find myself jealous of her because she don't have to read her Bible to get close to God like I do. I'm like, you get to sit on the front porch. I want to sit on the front porch. It's different. Listen to me. It's good that it's different because this is what happens in marriage. She leans into the fact that I know the scriptures and I study them and we walk and I lead this family down the path that the Bible lights up for me. She finds security in that. I find security in the fact that I know when she ain't sleeping at 3 o'clock in the morning, she's sitting on the sofa talking to God. You see it? We together have a better relationship than we do individually with God. Make sense? So the point of the message is she's responsible to grow. I'm responsible to grow. As we grow, God grows us closer. Beautiful thing. That's how it works. The issue is, is as soon as I get selfish, lazy, or prideful and think that I don't need to continue to grow, we start to get in trouble. We start to get in trouble. Foundations 
are important. The title of my message today is simply foundation. It's not glamorous. It's just a foundation. Some of you ladies are thinking, yeah, I've got some foundation on here. Put my foundation on. I'm not talking about that. I don't understand that. I can't preach that. I'm talking more construction. <laughs> Come on, guys. I'm talking buildings. A, founda- a building foundation. Something you build something on top of that's glamorous. Well, that's what we do with makeup. And I'm going to stop right there. Years ago, I was in construction, and I remember we used, to, we used to build Dollar General stores. And basically, they would take a Dollar General store, and from the day they scratched the ground for the first time to the day they opened the doors was a period of 10 to 12 weeks, super fast. They designed them. All of them are built the same. You get in, you knock it out, and you move on. They're fun to build, fast, highly profitable, and we used to chase them around. And I heard there was one down in the Morgan City area that they had they'd went in, did the dirt work, poured the building slab, the building guys came in and erected the building. They come back the following Monday to find the floor fell at least two feet. It was a foundation failure. Being a contractor and building those buildings and being familiar with them, I felt what that contractor was feeling. I'm done. (laughs) I'm out. If he was an old guy thinking about retiring, (laughs) I'm retiring today. You follow me? I'm throwing in the towel. I'm done. I can't take this. We got to now tear all this down and rebuild it again. Some of us are here today and you feel that same way about your marriage. I am grateful that you're here today because there's still hope for you. In fact, the simple fact that you're even in church today together gives me hope for you. So some of you are in a position in your marriage where you're feeling like, you know what, if there's just, if he does or she does one more thing, I'm out. And as a pastor, that breaks my heart and it, 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 it saddens my heart because I don't want you to get out. I don't want you to quit because I've seen God turn too many marriages around. I've seen him turn marriages around that should have been dead. And they're in this church. And I give God praise for it. And I'm encouraging you today, not yet. Don't quit yet. Keep going. Don't give up yet. God's going to do something soon. Amen? And that's why I'm preaching a message like I'm preaching today. It's not a glamorous message. You may not shout a whole lot. I doubt if anybody jumps up and runs around the church. It's not that kind of a message. It's a foundational message. Because here's the truth. When you built your home or you build a building, nobody drives up and goes, cool, look at that foundation. They never say that. 60, 70, 80 years down the road and the house is still square and straight and looking good, they go, it must have a nice foundation. So the the, the message may not be glamorous today, but I want you to get the message today. It's a foundational message. Foundations are messy. Foundations are hard. But foundations can be rebuilt. Amen? Every area of my life is affected by my relationship with God. Every area. There's not one area of my life that is exempt from being affected directly by my relationship with God. You got to get this. 
If you don't like some things in your life, you need to go back and check your relationship with God because there may be an error there that's causing an error somewhere else. Is this making sense? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach today from basically one portion of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 5, um, starting in verse 1 and 2. If you want to open your Bibles there, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, I would encourage you to read the whole chapter. It talks about relationships. I'm going to give you some homework Um, And it's going to come from Ephesians chapter 5. So pay attention this morning. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Watch what it says. Paul's speaking, but he's inspired by God. It says this, imitate God. Let's let the siren pass. (laughs) Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Watch this last piece, a pleasing aroma to God. We'll wrap the message up with that last piece. Number one, if you're taking notes, and I hope you're taking notes, number one, imitate God. Not glamorous, just straightforward. Imitate God. We are instructed to imitate God in everything that we do because we are his children. I've heard people say, I can't do that because I'm not God. And, 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 and their pushback is, I'm not God. I'm just a man. I can't do that. And I'll agree with you 100%. You are not God. God is. <laughs> Look at your name and say, you're not God. Some, for some of you, that felt really good. Some, some of you, that felt way too good. <laughs> Paul is not telling us to be God. He's telling us to imitate God. He's saying, in everything you do, imitate God. There's been a lot of famous uh, artwork over the years. And and there's one, I'm going to tell you the name of it in just a second, and you'll all recognize this this piece. Uh, It's very famous, but it didn't get famous when the the artist finished it. It got famous over time. It's, It's called the Mona Lisa. How many of you have heard of the Mona Lisa? The painting, the Mona Lisa, it's the painting of a lady. Something like that, okay? I'm not Mona Lisa neither. <laughs> so so, so he, they finished uh, uh, Leonardo, um, I want to say DiCaprio, but it's Da Vinci. Da Vinci? Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things passing through my head. Leonardo finished the painting somewhere around 15, 16, 15, 17, but it didn't become famous until later on. Currently, the painting is insured for $800 million. <clears throat> Can I get a dollar? Come on, can we give me a dollar one time, one time? Let me get a <laughs> the Mona Lisa became famous because it started to become imitated. So what happened is, is Leonardo painted the Mona Lisa. It didn't instantly become famous and valuable. It grew in its value and it grew in its fame over time the more people started to imitate it. Or you can use the word duplicate it. So they took his artwork, which I'm sure it had a little bit of a glamour with it, and they began to paint some that looked just like it. Some of his students would paint some that looked just like it. And, and, and the more they would imitate the original, the more the value of the original would go up. You see in this? So the more it was imitated, the more the value went up. The more it was imitated, the more attention went to the original. 
If the Bible says to imitate God, then surely you can imitate God because the Bible doesn't use words foolishly. The the Bible speaks truth, right? So if the Bible says you can imitate God, then I'm here to tell you today, you can imitate God without having to be God. You ought to feel good about that. Here's the truth. The more I imitate God in my life, the more value and glory is the church word or more, uh, more, um, a rep, more um, popular I, I, I make God. So the more I imitate God, the more his value goes up in people's lives and the more people start to pay attention to him, which is glory. It's the church word is glory. I don't want to just use church words because some of you might not know what that means. But basically, if I'm speaking to a, a bunch of Christians, I would say the more I imitate God, the more glory it brings to God, which means this, that his value comes up the more I imitate him. But let me explain the imitation because some of us will even take that wrong and we'll start to imitate him in a wrong way and it will actually reverse on us. Here's the truth for you. It's hard to be in a relationship with someone who has multiple personalities. Can I get a witness? (laughs) It's hard to be in a relationship with somebody who's two-faced. Come on, you starting to pick up what I'm throwing down? It's hard to be in a relationship with somebody who acts this way when they're here, but then turn around and acts this way when they're there. I think about our children. Our children are always watching. They catch more from us than we actually teach them, right? That's why when they say something stupid, you go, where'd you hear that from? And they go, you. <laughs> you know it's true. <laughs> There's nothing worse and nothing more embarrassing than to have a person who, when they get to church, oh, praise God, hallelujah, pass the beans. But then when they get home, they're abusive, they're rough, they're mean. Come on. That's not imitating God. He said to imitate God in everything that we do. Say everything. That means church. That means home. That means work. That means Walmart. That means the gym. That means at the baseball game your kid's playing in. If you're cussing out the ref, you're not acting like God. Even if it's under your breath. Oh, pastor. Imitate God. The more I imitate him, the more value it brings to him. By the way, if you're a Christian, you're already doing this. So let me ask you a question. How many of you, without trying to embarrass anybody, just for survey's sake, how many of you would call yourself a Christian? Raise your hand. Okay, look around. It's most of the room. Do you know what a Christian means? It means little Christ. It means a follower of Christ, somebody who does what Christ does, somebody who starts to take on Christ's nature, somebody who starts to act like Christ, little Christ. Shall you're doing it and you don't even know you're doing it. You're imitating God if you're a Christian and you've taken at least one step, you're imitating God already. So don't freak out when the Bible says to imitate God and think you can't do it. You can do it, right? You can imitate God. In fact, most of you already are. The minute you forgive somebody, you're imitating God. 
So all I'm doing is making you aware that you need to imitate God and that you can do it. And then you start going, well, golly, I'm already starting to do this. Well, God, this ain't as hard as I thought it was. Oh, my goodness, I think I can actually imitate God. And then what happens? His value goes up. His popularity goes up. I'm not doing it so that people think I'm God. I'm doing it to be a reflection to God. So who is God? Let me give you 10 things real quick. Get ready to write. You're going to have to go fast. Who is God? Number one, God is love. God is love. Number two, God is a defender. Number three, God is patient. Four, God is a provider. Five, God speaks life. Six, God cares. Seven, God is faithful. Eight, God is my healer. Nine, God has plans. Ten, God is my father. That's just ten. There's many, many more. Characteristics and nature of God that we need to be imitating. I read my Bible to discover who God is. So that I can better imitate him. It's hard to imitate the original if you don't know the original. Most of us in this room couldn't sit down right now if I passed out a piece of paper and a pencil and draw the Mona Lisa. Because most of us have never seen the original. Some of you are like, Pastor, I could lay on the original and still never be able to draw it. I could trace it and still mess it up. That's okay. It's okay. So number one, imitate God. Number two, learn to give love. Verse two in Ephesians five says, live a life filled with love. Think about a pitcher, like a, a tea pitcher filled with something. And if you, if you bump it or you run and stop it, all of a sudden it spills over, right? The Bible says to live a life filled with love so that when people bump you, what comes out is love and not hate. You want to know what's in you? Watch what comes out of you when you get bumped. That's a free lesson, right? That wasn't even in the notes. Live a life filled with love. Number two, learn to give love. But this one's tricky because I don't want to just say it as a cliche and then you not know what it really means. So I want to help you with this one. In order to give something... I have to have it first, right? I can't give you a dollar if I'm broke. I can't give you a hundred if I only got 20. No, but I'll take the 20. (laughs) I can't give you forgiveness if I don't know what forgiveness is. I can't give you love if I've never received love. So watch this. When I first gave my life to Jesus, my first moment, my first experience with Jesus I had an experience with him where I gave my life to Jesus at the age of 12. What I understood and experienced in that moment was that God loves me enough to forgive me of my sins. So my understanding of God's love was he will forgive my sins. Right? So now I've received some of God's love. Right? Makes sense? So now I can start to give that away. 
right? I can start to forgive people of their sins. I can start to tell people about God's love for me, that he, he forgave me of my sins and he cleansed me. But I'm never intended to stop right there. That's where people get in trouble. They stop at salvation. Salvation is getting in the car. But we're going somewhere, right? (laughs) As I continue to grow in my relationship with God, I start to experience his love more and more. And as I receive it, I then turn around and give it. Come on. When I, when I receive God's love, when he provides for me, then I get a greater understanding that God is my provider. He loves me enough to provide things for me. It causes me to want to go and provide for other people. I can't give away what I don't have. But if I stop growing, I quit getting. If I quit getting, I become stale. And then I'm good for nothing. If I'll continue to grow, I'll continue to get stuff to give. Come on. I need to keep growing. But it's not just reading, praying, and, 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 and talking to God. It's, it's really, let me make it real simple. It's paying attention to yourself. Because God's moving in your life and you're not even paying attention to it. I love the old timers. How you doing today? Oh, I'm doing good, boy. I woke up. I'm on this side of the ground, babe. I'm doing good. You know what he's doing? He's taking evaluation of his life, and he's grateful for the simple things in his life. You woke up this morning. Evidently, you had some hair products because all your hair looks good. You all came clothed. You all got here. You're breathing right now. Go, God gave you that because he loves you. Your days are numbered. The simplest way to understand God's love is to just simply pay attention to what he's doing in my life. I love new believers. Somebody just gets saved. They go to Walmart, front row, baby. Bought a dough. Pull into Walmart, boom. Thank you, Jesus. Walk into Walmart, I need some deals. And they get deals. What happens to us? Now we're parking in the back. Everything's too high. (laughs) You're fussing about everything. When's the last time you just took account of your life and said, God, thank you for being able to breathe. Thank you my bones are still connected. Thank you my blood's still flowing. Thank you my skin's not falling off. Thank you I still got hair if you got some. Thank you that my feet still work. Thank you that people still like me. Come on. One of the simplest ways to understand how much God loves you is to pay attention to what he's currently doing in your life. He doesn't need to prove anything else to you. As a matter of fact. He's done enough in your life already to prove that he's God. And that he loves you. 
Amen? Now, when I read the scriptures, I don't read the scriptures and hear, give something you don't have. I just got to take responsibility and pay attention to my life a little bit. Ten ways that God loves us. You ready to write them down? Here we go. Number one, he looks past my past. Number two, he forgives me. Number three, he helps me. Number four, he heals me. Five, he encourages me. Six, he equips me. He equips me. Seven, he protects me. Eight, he goes before me. Nine, he goes with me. Ten, he shows himself to me. That's just ten, just a drop in the bucket. Just want to give you a few. Number one, imitate God. Number two, learn to give love. Learn to give what you've received. The Bible says freely you receive, freely give. God expects you to hand off what you've been handed to. Number three, offer yourself to each other. We need to offer ourselves to our spouse or to other people in our relationships. Ephesians verse 2, it says, talking about Jesus, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Jesus loved you enough to offer you something. Uh, I forgot my wallet. I had a $20 bill in my wallet and I was going to give it to somebody. But I was going to offer it to somebody. So if I wanted Mona to have a $20 bill and I would, I would offer it to her, right? If I came up and said, Mona, I got a 20. She's like, I'll take a rain check. <laughs> I'm like, I want to offer you this 20. If I'm going to offer it, I've got to be willing to sacrifice it. I've got to be willing to let it go, Right? So I can't offer what I'm not willing to let go. If I do, then I'm just being foolish, right? So if I offer it to her, I have to be willing to sacrifice it. One of the biggest issues in marriage is selfishness. You can, you can sum up and do some marriage counseling real quick. I heard, a, I heard a preacher who didn't like, I heard about this preacher. He's still alive today. He doesn't like to do counseling. He just likes to teach and preach. And, and he, he told his congregation, he said, listen, my marriage counseling is quick and easy. You'll come sit in my office. I'll look at you, say, you're selfish and you're selfish. Die to yourself and you die to yourself and everything's going to be fine. Thank you all very much. And that's his marriage counseling. But the reality is, is we quit offering ourselves to our spouse. I can, I can hear the excuses and the justifications already. Yeah, but, but you just don't know, Pastor. They just never offer anything back. I ain't even talking about that. Jesus offered himself to us whether we were going to offer ourselves back or not. He decided, I love you so much, I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to offer it to you. And if you want it, you can have it. I'm telling you today, you need to write this down. If I will walk out of church today and just simply start offering myself to my spouse, things will start to change today. When's the last time you offered to wash the dishes, guys? 
When's the last time you offered to wash the clothes? Well, she won't let me wash the clothes. I don't know how to wash the clothes. When's the last time you offered to learn how to wash the clothes? Come on, ladies, you should be shouting right now. Because some of you all bound up, well, he ain't do this and he can't do that because he don't do this right. Well, no wonder he don't want to do it because he can't do it right. <laughs> Guys, when's the last time you offered to learn? When's the last time you offered to bring her somewhere? When's the last time you offered to take care of the kids and send her out the house to go hang out with some other girls? Adults. They're with kids all the time. They need some adults. They go crazy if they don't get around adults. Ladies, when's the last time you offered him intimacy with no strings attached? If you'd have washed the dishes, I'd be intimate with you. <laughs> Let's laugh. Let's let everybody laugh because that just got real uncomfortable because it's so true. Yeah, let's just keep laughing. Come on, it's just to laugh away the, the uncomfortable thing about that. When's the last time you climbed into bed and said, hey, big boy, you still awake? Once he wakes up from passing out, it can have a good time. When's the last time you offered yourself to your spouse? You see, Jesus offered his life because he was willing to give up his life for us. If I'm going to offer Cheryl to serve her and to help her, I'm going to sacrifice time and things that I want to do. It doesn't cost, it isn't valuable if it doesn't cost you something. If you're sitting around and you ain't got nothing to do, it don't, it's not real valuable to get up and go help your wife. If you've got a thousand things going on and you've got all these things that are important and you say, you know what, I'm going to stop this. You know what that says to her? Cha-ching. I just, I, just, I just did like George and Wheezy. I just moved on up <laughs> to the east side. Beans don't burn in the kitchen. No. If we offer, we have to be willing to sacrifice, willing to let go of. That's what I want you to see today. As Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. He did it to free us and put us back in right position with God. He never turned around. We always talk about what Jesus did, right? We, we very seldom talk about what Jesus didn't do. It's just as important to learn what Jesus didn't do as it is to learn what he did do. Let's talk for a moment, a moment about what Jesus didn't do. Jesus, Jesus came out of the grave, resurrected from the dead. Let me tell you what he didn't do. He didn't walk up with a certificate or a receipt and wave it in his disciples' face and say, boys, I just set you free. <laughs> Pay up. He didn't walk up to the disciples and say, boy, 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 I got y'all all free. Y'all work for me now. He never did that. What did he do? He offered himself freely to us. That if we want to receive him, we can have him with no strings attached. The problem we got is that we want to offer ourselves to our spouse only when we can get something in return. 
I'll be intimate with you, but you better start talking to me. I'll start talking to me, but you better be intimate with me. Come on, let's laugh real quick. (laughs) Right? To offer yourself to somebody with a string attached is glorified manipulation. No strings attached. When I gave my life to Jesus, look at me, it was my decision to give my life to him. I didn't have to, I wanted to. Why did I want to? Because I realized how much he loved me. Here's the beauty in point number three. If I'll just keep offering myself, whether I get something in return or not, and just keep offering myself, God's going to bless it, and God's going to do something, and he'll bring a return. I don't have to worry about the return. He's going to bless what I'm giving up. Come on, somebody. He will bless it if you offer it. offer something to get something in return. When I offer something with no strings attached, it tells them and shows them, not only tells them, but shows them how much I love them. You see, there's a, and you'll agree with me on this, there's a big difference between saying I love you and showing I love you. Come on, guys. That's what your wife's telling you. When she's fussing because you don't ever help her with this and that, what she's saying is, is you can tell me you love me at 10 o'clock at night. But it don't mean a hill of beans if you ain't willing to help me during the day. Preach, preacher. Hey, I'm preaching from my own experiences. I don't even know your business. I'm telling you mine. It's like the old Cajun lady would say. Them men, them men, them men bark all day and they meow at night. <laughs> My wife still uses that one on me. So imitate God. You getting something? Imitate God. Learn to give love. Number three, offer yourself to each other. Last point. God loves the smell of sacrifice. Kind of a weird point. God loves the smell of sacrifice. Watch the end of verse 2. It says, Jesus loved us and gave himself or sacrificed himself for us. And then it says this, and it was a pleasing aroma to God. An aroma is a smell. In this verse, it's a good smell. Because you know there's good smells. And there's bad smells. I want to make it clear. This is a good smell. It's a good aroma. When Jesus loved us and Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for us, it was a pleasing aroma to God's nostrils. 
This may seem a little bit silly, but you need to get a bigger vision about this thing. Because listen to me, when Jesus did that for us, it aroused God's sense of smell. It got his attention. I'm telling you, I was praying about this last night, and I saw it. I saw it. I'm praying about it, and I I just saw it. It's like when I offer myself to Cheryl, when I imitate God, when I give love to her, and I offer myself as a sacrifice to her, God goes, ooh, that smells good. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, my, we just built a house three years ago, and we accidentally did this thing right. We, we put the vent for the stove right by the carport. It's a good idea because when you come home, you can tell what she's cooking. I get out the car, and I go, and depending on what I smell, depends on how fast I get in the house. Now, everything my wife cooks is good, but there's some things that I run into the house for, and there's other things that I go feed the animals, and I make my way to the house. It's still good, but it just ain't that good, right? When we offer ourselves to God, he begins to smell an aroma. You know, the Bible says when God parted the Red Sea, he blew it from his nostrils. Think about this. It may be a little bit weird, but think about it. You get to arouse God's senses. Okay, number one, it's cool that he can smell. I didn't know that. It's like, dude, God can smell. All right. Two, it's cool because I get to determine what he smells. I wonder what selfishness smells like. I wonder what unforgiveness smells like. I wonder what anger and impatience smells like. I bet it don't smell good. But it says, when Jesus loved us and gave himself for us, it was a pleasing aroma to God. Now, how many of you would say, I, would, I want my marriage to smell good? To which I knew you were going to do this. Some of you ladies went, that's going to be a miracle. That brother stank. I'm not talking about that. How many of you want your marriage to be a pleasing aroma to God? Come on. If it's pleasing God, then it's got to be pleasing you. That's the beauty in it. If it's pleasing God, then it's pleasing you. I'm no less of a person when I offer myself to my wife sacrificially. I'm actually greater than when I do that than when I don't because the Bible says that God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble grace means I get to get close to him so when I sacrifice I don't get pushed away I get brought in close what's the vision for your marriage do you have a vision for your marriage Where do you see yourself in 5, 10, 15 years? Where do you see you and your spouse in 20, 40, 60 years? If you're that young. (laughs) Some of you like, Pastor, if if I got vision for then, oh, Lord. Let me tell you where I see me and Cheryl. 
We're going to be that old couple at the ice cream shop. We're going to be sitting at a table sharing a small bowl of ice cream. First miracle. (laughs) Two spoons, one bowl. And we're going to sit there with our little spoon and we're going to, we're going to savor it, second miracle. It's good. And she's going to go, mm-hmm. And then when we're done, I'm going to take her spoon and put it in the bowl, take the napkins, put it in the bowl. I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk to the trash can. And I know I'm aggravating some little young dude, but that's Okay. This is fifth gear, baby. It's fifth. Okay, this is all I got. I've been fast my whole life. I'm going to be slow for once. I'm going to get to the garbage can. I'm going to put it in the garbage. And then I'm going to get back to her, and I'm going to grab her arm, and I'm going to help her get up. And we're going to hold hands. We're going to make it to the the car after a little while. And then... I'm going to walk her to her side of the car and I'm going to open the door and I'm going to help her in. And I'm not going to slam the door on her foot because I'm going to get good at it. <laughs> and then I'm going to go around to my side and I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to sit there and I'm going to start it. I'm going to start it. I'm going to check the mirrors. And there's going to be a young couple right here waiting for me to get out of my parking spot. And I'm going to know this. And that's going to make me just a hair slower. Because I know what they're going through, and it's a valuable lesson. And so I'll finally put it in reverse, and I'll go. And I'll back out. And we'll back out, and then we'll put it in drive, and then we'll pull up. And that couple will be right there. And just despite, I'll go. And we'll drive and go home. That's where I see my marriage down the road. I want to be that cool old couple that with a, a young couple with a half a brain walks in and goes, I think I'd like to be that way one day. That's who I want to be. I want to be madly in love with my wife till I take my last breath.